0: We're talking dividends on this technology edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, Fools. I am Sean O'Reilly, joining you here from Fool headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is Friday, November 20th, 2015, and joining me to talk dividends in the worst possible sector for them is the dependable Dylan Lewis. I like dependable
1: there. It kind of feeds well into the theme of dividends Uh and uh, reliable payers. Showing up to do the show once a week. And I was actually you know, I was saying that and I
0: actually realized um, I think the biotech sector would be worse. That, yeah, that would so, second be second
1: worst sector for dividend discussions. But they're out there. There are. Yeah, and, you know, we'll get into that. Apple's them. got might, one, yeah. We might kinda like steal a couple companies from CG we'll try, a little yeah. bit to like kind of curb them into buffer it a little bit. Us. Yeah. But um yeah. So I do so. So,
0: the right. We're talking dividends because it's dividend week on industry focus and
1: we're a tech show. How are we going to pull this off? Are we just going to. You know, I, I was doing some research on this. I mean,. You'd be surprised. There are okay. a decent amount of All tech,
0: in right. uh, dividend-worthy tech companies to discuss. Do not lose heart, dear listener. We promise we will deliver. Yeah. Uh, so before we dive in, we actually have a listener question that fits in perfectly with this week's theme. Yes. Um, and uh, what I assume uh, it's John in Columbus, Ohio. Thanks for writing in, and uh, go Bucks. I happen to be uh, born and bred in Columbus, Ohio, and we moved to Cleveland when I was 13. So, John, thank you for the shout out. John was psyched to begin with. I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, there's a Columbus, (laughs) Georgia, I think, but. Yeah, yeah. anyway. So, uh, John writes. Uh, I have two questions. I am looking to start a dividend portfolio. I am 31, so I have plenty of time to build this up. My father, however, will be 60 soon, and he would like to transition to more dividend stocks for income in retirement. I'd like to help him build this portfolio and maybe mirror it with my own. How should we go about constructing one? Is it simple as just buying 5-10 to 10 good-paying companies in a brokerage account? Do you start out with many small positions or 1-2 to two large positions and add to them? Um, we're probably gonna have to refer back to this. But Dylan, thoughts?
1: Yeah, so a, a lot to answer there. Um, great it's question. Like five, six and questions? Yeah, it's like yeah. there's I mean it's great. Like, no. Identifying <laughs> identifying dividends, portfolio construction, a lot to digest there. Um, constructing a portfolio, I think we should just start there. Uh, it's no small feat. And I think when I was thinking about how to answer this question best for our listener, um, I read. Revisited- Disclaimer, neither of us are no. not Certified <laughs> financial planners. No, but, We're two guys <laughs> in a podcast. <laughs> but But uh, I revisited our 13 Steps to Investing Foolishly, which is on fool.com. Excellent resource for Good people plug. that are looking to get started. Um, or just kind of want a refresher on some things to keep in mind. Sometimes you kind of wind up down the road somewhere, realize that you are super overweight in one sector, or maybe you haven't been dollar-cost averaging well, things like that. It's always nice to just kind of get a refresher on the basics. Um, so, I revisited that, and I found this great quote. Uh, you want to invest in SIPs, not gulps." And I think that that is, oh, and Sean is going for the coffee. (laughs) I took a sip, Dylan. And you feel like you're comfortable taking it. I am, yeah. You're not not scared that you took too much of a gulp. I'm going to go invest in my 401k. Yes. In a sip. Uh, And so, this is a a great way to think about adding to positions, creating positions, and starting out your portfolio. Um, And I think there's a couple of reasons for this as uh, just kind of a guiding light. And one of the main ones is, it's incredibly tough to time the market. And so, if you are investing in gulps... Uh, you know, So, if you are buying very large positions in, Everything one, today. in one or two companies, yeah. you are going to be hit by volatility at some point, or you are going to buy on a very up day. And so, uh, I think one of the great, it was, maybe it was a Morgan Housel tweet or something like that that I saw a little while back, was like, figure out what you want to buy, commit to a schedule to buying it. Unless the investing thesis changes, basically. And it's like, you know, you'll add to the position over a period of four months, five months, and you will regularly buy into it. And so that's one way to kind of mitigate against some of that time in the market risk, because none of us can do it, right? I mean, like, you might look at, like, oh, it looks oversold today. It's a good time to buy something like that. But uh, if you're long term oriented, like that kind of stuff shouldn't matter. And it's better to work towards a better dollar cost average, um, you know, over the course of kind of a medium term amount of time, I think. Um, Another reason that I think this is a great. Way to think about investing is you're going to be wrong a lot. Uh, So if you are investing in sips rather than gulps, um, you know, I think you start to learn quite a bit more about a company after you invest in them, unfortunately. Like this is something that I've found at least. I don't know about you.
0: Well, yeah. And even um, Warren Buffett, when he, um, I read this awesome thing one time and it it wasn't in an annual report, but he said that whenever he is interested in a company, like, you know, Couple of years ago, he's been buying into. Oh, I'm going to plug a tech name, IBM. Yeah. Um, when he was, you know, curious about IBM four or five years ago, I'm sure um, he did this. He buys a couple hundred shares of the company. They'll send him the annual report, and by buying just a small, tiny little stake, it actually triggers something in your mind to where, oh, I actually have money in this. I should probably look into it more. Right. So
1: again, even Buffett sips. Yeah, and that is uh, that's actually another point that they draw in uh, 13 Steps to Investing Foolishly is um, buy one share to start. You know, if if you've never bought any stock before, buy one share in a company, and you'll realize that you are now paying attention. Uh, obviously, if you're looking to build out a portfolio, uh, maybe you start to do that at a little bit of a larger scale. Um, but I think just kind of a case in point as to why you're going to be wrong a lot. Uh, in my personal portfolio, if you were to look at just like binary up or down, I'm down in like forty percent of my positions. Granted, like I'm, I'm very like tech centric, but um, you know, like my winners have proven out, and overall, I'm up. But if I were to have only invested in two companies, right? I, you know, I might be looking at, you know, like negative portfolio returns. So, um, so kind of to your question about is it better to buy, you know, five to ten good companies or build large positions of one to two? I, I would go with the five to ten. And slowly build out larger positions in each of them, rather than be highly concentrated in two companies.
0: Well, not only that, but um, John, both you and your dad have nothing but time. Um, he is only sixty. In mm-hmm. America, the life expectancy is above eighty. Um, you're thirty-one.
1: You have way, like, you have plenty of time to do this. Yeah. Um, I will say uh, there are two things that are going to tempt you away from this line of thinking. And uh, I think it's good to just kind of air them out now, so that like, you're aware of them, and maybe you won't be as uh, I don't know as biased by them uh, when it's time to actually make moves in your portfolio. Uh, one of them is transaction fees, and I know it's just something that kind of creeps into my mind is like, well, you know, all right, if I'm, I'm ultimately looking to invest like two thousand dollars in a company or something like that, and I
0: buy ten positions, and it's ten dollar commission each, that's a hundred dollars. Yeah, like, it adds that's... up.
1: So you know, you're like, oh, well, I can just buy once and. You know, have a much lower transaction cost as a percentage of what I own. Um, again, like long term, you know. So, is that one percent or whatever really going to matter all that much over the course of years of compounding, whether it's dividend income or st- stock price appreciation? No, no. Yeah, Especially if you're buying like one position per
0: month or whatever you're doing. Like, it's transaction costs are important, and you know the best investors in the world talk about them a lot. Um, but it's actually they're framing it into reference
1: to not day trade, not long term right. slow position building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So don't worry too much about that. I think as long as it is not eating up a humongous chunk of um, you know your actual transactions, then it's not really something to be too much worried about. Um, and also, I think it's always tempting to want to see immediate returns and hit scale. You know, and the easiest way to do that is to buy a lot at once. But again, um, knowing that you will be wrong some of the time. And uh, the market will take weird downturns because of macroeconomic factors right. or you know something like the retail industry getting hit really bad, which we saw last week. Um, you know, were you to be buying ahead of something like that, you'd be in a rough position, right? Uh, so I think that those are just uh, some good things to keep in mind with respect to that question. Um,
0: so Dylan, are there any good books for John and his dad to read about dividend investing?
1: Uh, so I what, had one in mind, but anyway. one of the things that we talked about kind of prior to doing the show was, you know, so dividend investing there are some unique elements to it, but really, like you're looking for good companies, right? I mean, everything that you would buy from a dividend company or anything you look for in a dividend company is something you'd want in a regular company, more or less. Right? It's just that maybe the growth profile is a little bit right. lesser, you know. And so, I, I'd say really anything that is basic stock uh, focused, that is not super growth oriented, can probably serve as a pretty good um, intro or you know guiding light for dividend investing. What well, right about you?
0: Yeah, um so I actually did a search top dividend stock books. Yeah. And uh actually I found one that I like, dividend.
1: I know that there's also I'm pretty sure, you know, like the little book series. Yeah. on investing. The I know little a little book oh, yeah. of dividend investing. Um that's a pretty excellent series. They're really quick to get through. So that's something that you might want to consider looking at. I haven't read that one personally, but I've read some of the other little books and they've been really fantastic primers for getting into um you know, some different areas investing that I'm not as comfortable with.
0: Oh, Dividends Still Don't Lie by Kelly Wright. It was a follow-up to the 1980s book, Dividends Don't Lie. Um, And basically, it relates to what we were talking about, which was, you know, what you want in a good stock is what you want in a good dividend stock. Strong business model, growing, franchises, all that good stuff.
1: (laughs) Cool. Um, So, I think one of the interesting things, uh, talking dividends, was kind of, what do each of us look for? In dividends. Um, Right. And we're both young guys though, so we (laughs) don't like think, oh, I need
0: dividends right now.
1: No, but uh, I will say I'm trying to build out a larger portion of my portfolio that is dividend oriented just so that I have that stability. You know, you generally don't see huge swings uh, with dividend stocks uh, just because they tend to be a little bit more stable. A little bit more established in the sectors that they operate in.
0: Well, yeah. Not only that, but uh, history bears this out. The last hundred years, what what percentage of total returns in the stock market came from dividends? It was like forty percent of all your returns came from dividends or something. Yeah, 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 I did something crazy. Yeah, it's like, well, yeah. I mean, it's you know, every American corporation all lumped in together. That might be true.
1: Anyway, yeah. um, So, what do you look for, Dylan? So, I like three things as kind of like a quick checklist. Um, I like operating in an industry with high barriers to entry. Not always something you're going to be able to find, but if you can, it kind of insulates you from some competitive pressure. It makes the next five to 10 years a little bit more foreseeable than if you're in an industry that's very easily disruptible. Right. Um, so I think that's one thing to watch. Obviously, you want something that has uh, available growth avenues, right? So just because there's been recent you know, great top line growth and consistent bottom line results doesn't mean that that's something that will continue unless they have a plan to. You know, enter new markets or develop new products or something like that. So, you want to see that there are, while there's a strong core business, there are also elements that project out well for the next five to 10 years at least. Um, And I think uh, something that all dividend investors are very conscious of is the payout ratio. And so, something that you want to just keep in mind is how much are they paying out as dividends, both as a proportion of net income and free cash flow? And is that something that is both sustainable and has room to grow? And so, um, you know, if your primary reason for investing in a company is you know you like the yield and you know all of the things being equal uh you know the business looks good then are they going to be able to continue to grow that yield right yeah no so, that's the trick so i mean those are the three things that i look at um what are you particularly mindful
0: of uh, i obviously can't argue with any of those points cuz they're they're spot on um the only thing i would look to add would be that um i i have two ways of looking at this and it's basically just through the the total return internal capital allocation point of view um and then there, the other thing would be just the I need income and retirement point of view. Um, in order to make the latter happen, what needs to happen first is the corporation needs to be growing, they need to be uh, doing well. Um, the dividends should only be paid when there are literally no other rational uses for the cash. Uh-huh. Um, that's a little trickier, in particular in our sector, because tech, like, you know, even Google, they were they don't pay a dividend. They're right. trying
1: to, you know. Start Alphabet or Well and, and Google only recently announced that share buyback. Right. Which is a way to return capital to shareholders well, like into a certain yeah. way, right? It's part of that capital allocation program and um, just that general philosophy. But uh, buying back was I think it was five billion shares, five yeah. billion dollars worth of shares. So is, small is very different right. than paying a dividend because you are on the hook for that dividend consistently. Right. And um, I remember I saw this great quote and it was specific to uh, tech companies and dividends. And they said, you know, announcing that you're going to be paying a dividend is kind of like ditching your hoodie and jeans for, like, khakis and a, a button-up suit. shirt. Yeah. You know? And uh, it's something that a lot of tech companies aren't willing to do. Uh, they're paying a dividend.
0: They're so square. <laughs> yeah, man, they've sold out.
1: Um, so, you know, and it's tough with tech, because there, is, I, yeah. I think there's always this pressure to be growing pretty rapidly. And to your point about capital allocation, um, you don't see a lot of really gaudy uh, dividend yields in the high-growth Tech area, just because you the businesses can better invest their money internally and provide better returns for shareholders that way. Well, not only that,
0: but um, in order to justify paying a dividend consistently, you need to not only prove that you can't use the money internally better to make an acquisition or something, uh, but you also have to factor in the co- uh, the tax implications of paying out a dividend to shareholders. So oh, There's that th- a fifteen to thirty percent tax, and had you just bought back shares, and then theoretically the the value of each share would go up. Ah, uh, there's that. I mean, you need to be really, really sure that that is the best use for the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> it's it's it, it, it's particularly difficult in our industry. But uh, you'll notice the people that pay out huge chunks of their profits and free cash flow. What you're talking about um, are I mean, it's Altria, it's Procter and Gamble. These are. Enormous
1: consumer brands that I mean
0: they they've made
1: it. Yeah, and, and you mentioned IBM before. It's like this is someone that's been in the tech space for a really long time. They're very they, they, they traded their their <laughs> they traded
0: their their khaki shorts for suits long ago. Yeah, yeah,
1: quite a long time ago. So um, a lot of up and coming names in the tech space, you know, really aren't a part of that conversation. That said, um, you know, you look into the space like telecoms, things like that. Right. That's where you start to see uh, some pretty attractive yields, and I think also. Uh, a lot of elements of the business that check off some of the you know bullet points that we'd mentioned earlier, for sure.
0: Uh, before we move on and going along with this week's income focus theme, I wanted to point our listeners to a special article written by five industry-focused contributors, including uh, yours truly, yours truly, and Dylan Lewis. Uh, with our top picks for dividend stocks just head to dividends.fool.com to learn our picks for the best dividend stocks for 2016. Once again, that's dividends.fool.com and to make it easy on everybody, I will drop that in the iTunes description of this podcast. Um, so Dylan, before we head out of here, I did want to get your thoughts on what mistakes do dividend investors make and how they can avoid them.
1: Yeah, because uh, that's I think Dividend investing—you look quick, and you're like, "Oh, like I just invest- oh, I got a five percent yield, yeah, awesome! Like, hey, I'm gonna be getting that every year, right?" <laughs> uh, and like you just kind of factor that in as your rate of return if you're just doing like a quick. Oh. So, um, I think one of the big things people need to be cautious about is being yield centric. Um, and kind of like we mentioned, uh, you might be tempted to use a yield as your screener, right? When you're looking at right. uh, dividend uh, stocks or potential investments, and I think it's definitely a good place to start, you know, particularly if that's your orientation. But uh, it's something that you definitely need to dig deeper on, uh, you know. So some companies in the tech space, you know, other sectors as well, have these very gaudy yields, but you need to read into why that's the case. Uh, sometimes that's because there's been huge share price depreciation, and so which
0: implies some sort of trouble. Of yeah, <laughs> and so so
1: so it's easy for a percentage to go up when the denominator goes down, right? And so um, you know, just as an example, I think Seagate's uh, dividend yield is like seven percent. Uh, in the past year, the stock has lost half its value. So it's So, that is not necessarily a stable 7%. That is not why 7%. you want that yield, yeah. Right. Uh, and, you know, part of that is because the business is struggling. They've missed on reports recently on some of their quarterly filings. Uh, customers seem to be moving a little bit more towards solid-state drives than um, Seagate's flagship magnetic disk drives. Uh, so, there are all these competitive uh, and just business elements at play here that ultimately undermine you know, the long-term viability of that dividend and the yield that it currently is. On the other end of the spectrum, you picked a couple of names that don't have that sky-high yield, but long-term. Right. Yeah. And so, again, only looking at Yields might cause you to miss out on some of these kind of like best of both worlds growth stocks that also have, you know, a nice little dividend right. at kicker. Um, and it just, I mean, no one's going to be surprised to hear this name, but Apple, you know, like they make eye everything and like they are a fantastic growth company. They have a great growth profile um, and they have a nice little dividend yield. It's like 1.75%, something like that. And I, I don't think anyone's going to argue uh, that company's not going anywhere. You know, right. like, they're going to be around for a while. Well, not only that, but the odds of them just upping
0: that just a little bit. For the next one to two, you know, one or two decades, probably pretty good. Yeah, and, and, and that's I think really what somebody that's looking to build a long-term dividend portfolio, like John earlier, mm-hmm. should be looking for. Something that's yielding two or three percent right now and is not guaranteed, but probably going to up it later.
1: Yeah, and and it's something where you'll enjoy some, you'll probably enjoy some very nice share price appreciation along the way. Fingers because, crossed because of those growth drivers. Yes, I'm yeah. a shareholder, so I hope so. Um, and just another name, and kind of in the same vein, where. You know, if you're only looking at three percent above on yield, something like that, you'd miss uh, somebody like American Tower. Um, so they're an owner and operator of wireless and broadcast communication sites. Uh, they're in a couple mildly important today. Huge barriers to entry. Huge. Who has the money to build those stupid things? Yeah, like. <laughs> and, and they and they lease them out. Yeah, boom. And so uh, huge barriers to entry, capital intensive business. Um, and you look at the macro factors at play. Cell data is huge. It's going to become even bigger in the next decade. Uh, so they're well positioned for that. Um, they only have a yield of like one point eight five percent like they 're under two percent so right. so you know that 's another great business that offers you some growth, also offers you a nice little income on the side um something you would overlook if you were just looking at yields so I think that 's just another thing to keep in mind Cool, very good. well, thanks for your thoughts, Dylan. Always a pleasure,
0: Sean. have a good one. And uh, that is it for us, fools. If you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that is industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Don Lewis, I'm Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and fool off.